Chapter 13 of the Pony Rider Boys in Montana. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mark Michelson. The Pony Rider Boys in Montana by Frank G. Patchen. Chapter 13 Preparing for an Attack. It was late on the following afternoon when the Pony Rider Boys descended on the Sims Ranch bag and baggage. LaRue had relieved one of the herders, and sent him back with Tad Butler and Ned Rector, to bring up the rest of the party. The parlor tent they found had been too badly damaged to be worth carrying along, so they left it where the bear had wrecked it. "'Heard anything from the herd?' was Tad's first question, as Mr. Sims came out to greet them. "'We certainly have. They are within three miles of here now. I have given orders to keep them clear of the ranch, and the herders are at work deflecting them to the northward. We shall bed them down about five miles from here tonight. Tomorrow we will push on slowly for the grass regions up the state. I have arranged for you to remain at the ranch tonight. Oh, no, we prefer to go out and join the herd, objected Tad. We most certainly do, added Ned. That's what we're here for. Have you heard anything new? asked Tad in a low voice, leaning from his saddle. Yes, I heard that the cowmen all through here are stirred up. It isn't any one man or set of men that's doing it. We have received threats from different sources, if we allow the sheep to stray too far from our ranch, answered Mr. Sims with serious face. Have you decided to go on? Hello, is this your son Philip? asked Tad as a slender, pale-faced boy came towards them. Yes, this is Phil. Come here, Phil, and meet my young friends. The Pony Rider boys took to the lad at once. He was a manly little fellow, but delicate to the point of being fragile, the lad having only recently recovered from a serious attack of typhoid fever. "'You see what the outdoor life has done for these young gentlemen, Phil,' said Mr. Sims. "'I shall expect you to come back this fall, looking every bit as well as they do now. "'I'll get ready for dinner. It will be served in a few minutes. "'Later in the day we shall move out on the range. Phil?' Have you packed your things? Yes, sir. I'm all ready. The noon meal was a jolly affair. The herders cooked their own meals out on the range, and after this the boys would eat with them. But today they were invited guests in the house of their rancher and banker. In the meantime, Professor Zeppelin and Mr. Sims had become interested in each other, and already were looking forward to the next few days on the range together, with keen pleasure. The start was made shortly after three o'clock, the party reaching their destination well before sundown. The pony riders uttered a shout as they discovered the white canvas top of the chuck wagon. It was a familiar sight to them. On beyond that was a perfect sea of white backs and bobbing heads, where the great herd was grazing contentedly after its long journey to the free grass of Montana. The boys had never seen anything like it. The sheepdogs, too, were a source of never-ending interest. The boys watched the intelligent animals. As of their own accord, they rounded up a bunch here and there that they had observed straying from the main herd, working the sheep back to their fellows quietly and without in the least appearing to disturb them. "'What kind of sheep is that over there?' asked Chunky, pointing. "'That's no sheep. That's Billy,' answered Mr. Sims. "'Who's he?' "'The goat.' You've no doubt heard of a bellwether? I have, spoke up Tad. That's what Billy is. He leads the sheep. They will follow a leader almost anywhere. 
In crossing a stream, Billy wades in without the least hesitation, and they cross right over after him. Otherwise, we should have great difficulty in getting them over. Oh, yes, I know a goat. Had one once, replied Stacy. Does he butt? Sometimes. His temper is not what might be called angelic. I suspect the boys have been teasing him pretty well. However, you want to look out for some of those rams. They are ugly and they can easily knock a man down. If you are up early in the morning, you will see them play. You will see what they can do with their tough heads. I forgot to tell you, said LaRue in a low voice, that some of the men report having encountered Indians during the day. That's nothing new. There are plenty of them around here, laughed the banker. They think they were Blackfeet. The Reds were so far away, however, that the men could not make certain. Off the reservation again, eh? Probably think they can pick up a few sheep. Well, look out for them. If you catch them at any shines, just shoot to scare. Don't hit them. We don't want any government inquiry. I have suspected for a long time that some of them were hiding in the rosebuds, and that the Crow Indians were in league with them. It's only the bad Indians who stray from their reservations, you see, explained Mr. Sims. We have to be on the lookout for those roving bands all the time, or they'd steal all we have. I should think you would complain to the Indian agencies, suggested the professor. Doesn't pay. They would take it out on us in a worse way, perhaps. They're a revengeful gang. One by one the herders came in with their dogs and flocks, rounding the sheep in for the night, having chosen for the purpose a slight depression in the plain. For the first time the boys had an opportunity to meet their ranchers and compare them with the cattlemen they had known in Texas. They were a hardy lot, taciturn and solemn-faced. The most silent man in the bunch was Noisy Cooper, who scarcely ever spoke a word unless forced to do so by an insistent question. Bat Coyne had been a cattleman down in Texas, while Mary Johnson, so-called because of his pink and white complexion, which no amount of sun or wind could tarnish, was said to have come from the east. He had left there for reasons best known to himself, working on sheep ever since. It was old Hicks, however, who interested Tad most. Hicks' first words after being introduced were in apology for being cook on a sheep ranch. He was limping about, flourishing a frying pan to accentuate his protest. "'I'm a cow-puncher, I am. Wish I'd never joined this mutton outfit,' he growled. "'Then why did you?' asked Tad, smiling broadly. "'Why? I joined because I could get more pay, that's why. What you suppose I joined for?' "'I thought perhaps you preferred sheep,' answered the lad meekly. "'Like them. Like mutton?' snarled old Hicks, hurling his frying pan angrily into the chuck-wagon. Between sheep and engines, give me the engine every time. Why, every time I have to cook one, it makes me sick, it does. Indians? Do you cook Indians? asked Stacy, who had been an interested listener to the conversation. Well, what, what, cook Indians? No, I cook mutton. What do you take me for? I, I, I didn't know, muttered Stacy meekly. Thought I heard you say you did. You got another thing coming, growled the cook, limping away. Come over here and take a sniff of this kettle, he called, turning back to Tad. The lad did so. Smells fine, doesn't it? I think so. What is it, mutton? Boiled mutton. I can smell the wool. Bah! Do you cook them with the wool on? asked Chunky, edging nearer the kettle. See here, young man. This is a bad country to ask fool questions in. Use your eyes and ears. 
Give your tongue a rest. It'll stop on you some day. Chunky retired somewhat crestfallen, and from that moment on he kept aloof from the irascible cook, whom he held in wholesome awe. Come and get it, bellowed old Hicks, who, after prodding about the interior of the kettle with a sharp stick for some time, decided that the hated mutton was ready to be served. The pony riders did not share Hicks' repugnance for mutton. They helped themselves liberally, and even Phil Simms went so far as to pass his plate for a second helping. By the time the meal had been finished, twilight was upon them. The boys, when Professor Zeppelin called their attention to the lateness of the hour, made haste to pitch their tents, while Mr. Simms, with Phil and the sheepmen, looked on approvingly. "'You boys go at it like troopers,' he smiled. "'You'll have to pitch your own, too, after today, Philip.' "'We'll help them, chorused the boys. "'We've got to do something to earn our board,' said Ned. "'If we eat all the time the way we have tonight, "'there won't be any sheep left to graze by the time we've finished the trip,' laughed Walter. "'Somebody has to eat the cook's share,' interrupted LaRue. "'What I came over here to ask was whether you boys were intending to take your turns,' at herding for the next few nights. "'Of course we are,' they answered in one voice. "'That's what we're here for,' added Tad. "'Got any guns?' "'Rifles. Fortunately, they were not in the tent that was set afire by the bear, so they're all right,' replied Tad. "'However, I'll have to ask the professor about taking them out. I do not think he will care to have us do so.' "'I'll give you each a revolver,' announced the foreman. "'Luke, never mind the guns.' The boys will do their part by keeping guard. We don't want them to be mixed up in any trouble that may follow. If there is any shooting to be done, we can take care of that, I guess, said Mr. Sims with a grim smile. Yes, I could not think of permitting it, said the professor firmly. Hence it was decided that the lads should go on as they had been doing, leaving the sterner work to those whose business it was to attend to it. After the darkness had settled over the camp, the boys observed that there were more men present than had been the case when they had their supper. Mr. Sims explained that they had some men he had sent for for help to protect the herd. He had ordered them to report after dark, so that the troublemakers might know nothing about the increased force. The rancher was determined to teach the cattlemen of the free grass range a lesson they would not soon forget. "'What do you wish us to do?' asked Walter. "'We're anxious to get busy.' "'I think two of you had better go out for the first half of the night.' the other two of you the latter half. "'Do we take our ponies?' asked Tad. "'Yes, all of you will ride, except the few men who are regularly on guard with the sheep. But you will not move around much. Make no noise and be watchful. This is all we can do.' It was decided that Ned and Walter would take the early trick, Tad and Stacy Brown going out after midnight. The herders were already attending to their duties, and now Mr. Sims and the foreman, having given their orders, the reserve force moved out one at a time until all had disappeared in the darkness. A signal had been agreed upon, so that they might recognize each other in the dark. The rancher had thrown out his reserve force in the shape of a picket line, located some distance out from the herd and covering a circle something more than a mile in diameter. This was done so that in case of an attack, they would have an opportunity to drive off their enemy without great danger to the herd. The battle more than likely, would be ended before the cowman could get near enough to the sheep to inflict any damage. The two boys had left camp rather closer together than the others, as they were to keep in touch during their watch. 
In a short time the guards were all placed and a great silence settled over the scene, broken only now and then by the bleeding of a lamb that had lost its mother in the darkness. End of chapter 13